With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 172 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast, presented by the iconic Empire Hotel on Manhattan's Upper West Side. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the finest character actors ever to come along. A regular in the movies of Spike Lee and the Coen Brothers, as well as Adam Sandler and the Transformers franchise, to give you a sense of his range, and a Best Actor in a Limited Series or Movie Emmy nominee this year for his extraordinary portrayal of an eccentric lawyer on HBO's limited series, The Night Of, the great John Turturro. Turturro, an Italian-American who is 60, graduated from the Yale School of Drama in 1983, and, while always maintaining a foothold in theater, almost immediately began racking up impressive screen credits. Small parts in Hannah and Her Sisters and The Color of Money soon gave way to unforgettable turns in other films, such as 1987's Five Corners, 1989's Do the Right Thing, 1990's Miller's Crossing and Mo' Better Blues, 1991's Barden Fink and Jungle Fever, 1994's Quiz Show, 1998's The Big Lebowski, 2000's Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and 2002's Mr. Deeds, as well as in television fare, such as the 2002 TV movie Monday Night Mayhem, the series Monk, for which he received his one prior Emmy nomination and won for Best Guest Actor in a Comedy Series in 2004, and the 2007 limited series The Bronx is Burning. But he may never have had a part as big or given a performance as complex and impressive as the one he delivered as John Stone, a Manhattan criminal court attorney defending a young man accused of murder, in Stephen Zalian's The Night Of the eight episodes of which rolled out on HBO between July and August of 2016, averaging 1.4 million viewers and collectively registering a 95% Rotten Tomatoes rating en route to 13 Emmy nominations, including Turturro's. Over the course of our conversation at the Empire Hotel in New York, Turturro and I discussed a wide range of topics, among them, how seeing a clip at a young age of Dustin Hoffman helped him to believe that a fruitful acting career might be possible for an ethnic-looking kid, how his work with John Patrick Shanley and Shanley's material, especially in the Shanley-scripted Five Corners, helped to bring him to the attention of many other top content creators, including Spike Lee, why he and Lee and he and the Coens hit it off and have worked together repeatedly, and how he has cultivated close working relationships with other filmmakers as well, including Robert De Niro and Robert Redford, why he initially felt deeply conflicted about signing up for The Night Of, and why he ultimately found the project to be creatively challenging and satisfying, what we can expect from his next directorial effort, 
Going Places, the Coen Brothers approved spinoff of The Big Lebowski about the Jesus, the character he played in that film 19 years ago, plus much more. So without further ado, let's go to that conversation. John, thank you so much for doing this. Really oh, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Of course. We always begin just with the basics. Where were you born and raised, and what did your folks do for a living? I was born in Brooklyn. I think it was Kings County Hospital, but I grew up in, in Hollis, Queens, and then we moved to Rosedale, Queens. My father was a builder. He was a carpenter, contractor, and then house builder, and then he worked on a lot of big buildings. Yeah. Actually, he did those buildings right across the street. Really? Uh, Lincoln Plaza, the both yeah, one yeah. and three Lincoln Plaza, where the Lincoln Plaza theaters are. Yeah. I worked with him on those jobs. Seriously? Yeah, I actually... I uh, did a lot of sheetrock on, on the on the building and in the movie theater too. And my mother, she she wanted to be a designer, but she made she was a dressmaker yeah. and she worked with her brothers in a big band. And then she didn't want to do that for a living. And then you know she raised us and yeah. And how many how many? Siblings? I have an older brother yeah. and a younger brother. Nicholas is my younger brother. And for you guys, were movies, TV, theater were those big parts of your life growing up? Or movies been, yeah. were yeah the million dollar movie, which yeah. was the same movie was played five nights in a row, yeah. which a lot of people grew up with. Chiller Theater. There was the other one. There was one on Channel Eleven, Creature Feature. So yes, Channel Five, Channel Nine. A lot of old movies. Yeah. And so I grew up on a lot of movies because my parents loved them from the 30s and 40s, even though I was a little kid, you know, in the 60s, yeah. really. And then, then all those great movies came out in the 70s. Yeah. But I didn't really get introduced to theater until I was a teenager, okay. really. Then you could see all these Bob Fosse shows, you yeah. know, for... I remember seeing the commercial for Pippin. Really? And then that was that fa it was a famous commercial. Yeah, yeah. When they did the slow dance with Ben Vereen, I think Anne Reinking, yeah. Reinking is one of the two dancers, and I went to see that, and I was really, you know, it was all because the way Bob Fosse did the show, I was very taken by that. Was that what turned you on to the idea of maybe acting for the first time, or was that even earlier than that? I mean, I fantasized when I watched yeah. movies, and I used to do impressions and things mm -hmm. like that, and I loved, you know, the old movies, and and then I think when I started. I grew up like with James Cagney and Edward G. Robinson and Barbara Stanwyck, Betty Davis, and then Burt Lancaster, Kirk Douglas, then Brando and all those. But yes, it was a combination of that and also seeing Dustin Hoffman in Midnight Cowboy. Uh, clips, I was not old enough to go see it. And I, I was shocked because I was like, wow, he looks like someone like who's like in our family. You in know? the sense that, because up to that point, you know, uh, I guess studio system had kept out ethnic looking people. Well, they were. I mean, there was Edward G. Robinson, but right. there weren't a lot of those people. Yeah. So usually played, you know, the sidekick or an Indian. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people who weren't Indians, <laughs> right. like, who were Spanish or Italian right. did that. People changed their names. Yeah. But then you saw, you know, Dustin and then Pacino and De Niro. And that was like a huge you know, just opening in my mind of like, wow, you know, this is unbelievable. These guys that, you know, people that I've, you know, grew up around or yeah. something. And they were great actors too. It was just an interesting time to watch yeah. movies, but I was always, I had a deep involvement in it. And then when I saw theater, I thought, well, maybe that's something I could do because I didn't know anyone right. in the movies except the man who lived across the street who was a carpenter in local 52. Okay. Yeah. 
as I understand it, you start getting into it a bit in high school. You go off to, you know, SUNY New Paltz. Yep, yep. And and acted a bit more there. Majored in it there. Right? I, I majored in it there. How did your folks feel about this? I know you. Uh, my father wanted me to, you know, be a lawyer or yeah. something like that or a doctor, but I wasn't that great in science. But <laughs> yeah, lawyer, I could. You know, he just said you have to have a backup. You know, okay. he was in. He came from you know Italy here when he was six. So. My mother was, she thought I was a good student. And then when they saw me perform, I did very well. I was very raw when I went to New Paltz. But I had very good teachers, Richard Bell, this guy, Joe Paperone, Beverly Brum, all these people who really kind of educated me and civilized me in a way, (laughs) a sense that, you know, to put your energy into something that was, you know, good texts and, and educated me as far as reading and expanding my vocabulary and being introduced to Tennessee Williams and Shakespeare and Arthur Miller and Thornton Wilder. And, and so, you know, then they were encouraged when they saw that, but they were still, what are you going to do? So right. I, I minored in English. And then when I got out of school, I was a little shy. I did some showcases, but I didn't really know how to hustle. And I was a substitute teacher, actually, taught American history. And that was one of several things that you did, but before going back to to school at Yale for for the MFA. And And I I just wonder, was that because you wanted to explore other things, or was it to appease your parents who wanted you to have a backup? I didn't know what I want. I didn't, I wanted to be an actor. Yeah. I wanted to be an actor. I always liked to write a little bit. I didn't know about directing. I directed a little bit in college, not much. So, you know, I went to bartending school just so I could make a living. Yeah. But I, I but I was always working, like doing these showcases off off Broadway at West Beth with my friend Michael Bataluco and a lot of people from New Paltz. And my teacher, Beverly Brum, had gone to Yale. And when I was substitute teacher, I thought about it and and I had a good monologue. I did a actus it was called the actus theater workshop and mm-hmm. i d- did this monologue from a play that jason miller wrote called lou Gehrig did not die of cancer it was a very it was a good play yeah my friend directed me in it and it was a really good monologue and then i had a shakespeare monologue from richard ii and i auditioned for i decided to audition for yale and for nyu and i i got into both and i got a scholarship to yale and i got a lot of financial aid from nyu but it was a bigger package to go to to Yale. And so, you know, it was a huge thing for me. I was like, because I just didn't know how to go to agents and flip, you know, my picture under the door. It was it was very intimidating yeah. for me. I wasn't shy as far as working hard or putting together a showcase or even investing my own money in it. But I didn't know how to, you know, go about that. And so when I went to Yale, I, I thought, well, this will help me become a better actor and maybe it'll, you know, then I'll get my master's. Yeah. I could maybe teach. Yeah. Or, you know, my you know, and and I did very well. Yeah, you know, I did very well. I mean, in a lot of plays. Right? Yeah, I was in a lot of plays. I was always I was cast. Some people weren't cast that much, and that was sort of unfair, yeah. I think, in some ways, because we were all in school together. But one of my classmates was Charles Dutton and Angela Bassett too. Mm. But Charles was really rock. Everyone called him. He was really exceptional and. Wow. He's the guy who first did uh, August Wilson, first yeah. play at the O'Neill, the Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And anyway, out of that, I got to go to the O'Neill after three years there, Lloyd Richards, and that's where I did John Patrick Shanley play, Danny in the Deep Blue Sea, and a Keith Redeem play, who was a cl- classmate of mine at Yale. Well, I want to ask you when the first movie 
opportunity was because I thought maybe if, if it I was, was before I was before right okay yes. so I was looking at the chronology trying to understand that right. yeah. so this was that raging bull yes De Niro came to see a showcase of Tooth of Crime that my friend Michael Bataluco who was ahead of me at New Pulse was in and I guess he saw Michael and he saw me and he said you know I also sold him the ticket for a dollar <laughs> I think too and he asked us to come in and audition and I had read the book because my father was an amateur boxer, I knew a lot about boxing. I used to collect fight films that Jim Jacobs used to sell in Ring Magazine, <laughs> eight millimeter, yeah. showed it to my dad. Yeah. So we adapted this scene and uh, we rehearsed it all different ways. And so when we went in for it, he went in first, I went in second. They didn't even have a script and they were very like, you, you guys have a scene, you want to show us? And <laughs> Marty Scorsese was very nervous and De Niro was like, let them, let them do it, let them do the scene. And we had to move the table. It was a glass table. Yeah. And it came off the bottom. Jeez. And all four of us had to move it. <laughs> and and we did this scene. And I yeah. think we did a, I don't remember, but I, obviously we did a fairly good job. But we were very young. Like, you know, or I was 20 yeah. or something. And so they, they brought us back for auditions for these roles, even the role of the, the brother, but it was more the brother's friend, Salvi and mm -hmm. stuff like And so we read all these. I, I went for a series of auditions yeah. to Marty's apartment. Yeah. And Michael got one line, a scripted line, and then I had like one unscripted line. Hey, and, Jake. Yeah, hey, Jake. <laughs> and, you know, he always remembered that. And then I think when I did Danny in the Deep Blue Sea yeah. off-Broadway, he came to see me. And a friend of mine was in a movie that he was making, Jane Kaczmarek, with Meryl Streep. The movie he was making, they were like two married people having an affair. I forget the title. Anyway, he told her the whole story. You know, I've since worked with yeah. both of them, and Marty's executive produced a lot of things yeah. I've been in, and so it was a big, you know. Even was, though it was just the line, it was a foot in the it, door. It was yeah. a, it wasn't really a foot in the door, but yeah. it was just this unbelievable, like kind of crazy experience. And it's weird, you know. I've I know both of them, and Robert I've worked with a bunch of times. And do they uh, remember all of this? From yeah, that I mean, period? Robert. Yeah. yeah, always he told he <laughs> he told the story when we did what just happened to Bruce Willis and Stanley. Too. We were in his trailer, and he said, "Yeah, John did this whole scene," and they were like, they couldn't believe it. They yeah. were like, you know, you know, no one could get in because he came to see a showcase. Yeah, you know, and that's years ago. Agents used to come to showcases, mm -hmm. and he always. I mean, that's how he cast all of Raging Bull. Yeah. Joe Pesci was retired. Right. Captain Moriarty never acted. Frank Vincent was a friend of Joe Pesci's, right. you know. So he, they were looking around for, we were, at the end, too young, because yeah. he was 15 years older than us. But I remember reading all these. It was called Prize Fighter. That's that was, what the, that was, was the title. It was called Prize wow. Fighter. Well, okay, so after that, you do go back, you get your MFA, you come out, and you've spoken a lot about the fact that John Patrick Shanley took an interest in you and cast you in a number of things was really instrumental in bringing you to the attention of a lot of the filmmakers who you would later work with. So yeah. do you know what was the root of Shanley and, and you knowing I think about each other? We just kind of connected because of the O'Neill. I mean, we did a, the first version of it, he, which he thought was too lightweight, you know, for him with me and Mary McDonald. But, you know, you're doing it five days. Yeah. But I think there was a connection. Then he brought me in to do like a big reading at Circle Rep because they wanted someone else. And then when they did it at this theater of Louisville, he wanted me to, to make sure that he wanted to go really deeper with it. So I had to kind of come, go in and actually read again, which was okay, you know, mm -hmm. because that's, that was his prerogative. And I, you know, really went in there and, and then they said, okay, yeah, we definitely, you know, he, I think he knew I could do it. 
and I just like we just connected on a lot of levels. You know, he was older than me, and and I think that production when we did it in Louisville was really a big thing for John and, mm -hmm. and certainly for us. I mean, I didn't know that we were going to do it in New York and I would have to do it eight times a week. Right. So I didn't know how to calibrate that, you know, and then he really fought for me for five corners and he even fought for me for Moonstruck. He wanted me to be really? in Moonstruck and I was almost in Moonstruck too. Wow. I mean, Nick Cage did a great job and, and then he, I did Italian American reconciliation, yeah. but it'd be interesting to work with John again, again yeah. something. Cause I still, you know, we just, we connected and yeah. I got something and you need someone like that, you know, from that, you know, the Coen brothers who knew me saw me do a lot of things, yeah. but Five Corners, which wasn't a big hit, a lot of people saw me in that movie. One of them was Spike Lee. Yep. That's, okay. I think, the reason that he said he, you first, the way you first came to his attention, yes, I think, Five Corners. Right. Five Corners. Before Five Corners, you'd done a few other movies after Yale. I know you had this small part in Hannah and Her Sisters for right. Woody and The Color of Money. Right. And, and then again, Five to Corners. To Live and Die in L.A. Yeah. I had to yeah. Live and Die in L.A. And I also had done The Sicilian with Michael Cimino before Five Corners, which was really a miscast film in a lot of ways. I was like making a film about all Jewish people and you cast everybody from like Norway. You know, <laughs> that's how it was. Right. But I still learned a lot working on it and... I learned to stand up for myself yeah. and and fight for what I thought you know what I felt was right and yeah. and I brought a lot of that to Five Corners on the set because I was like I'm, this is not going to happen to me again, again. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna kind of own it in yeah. a different way and collaborate yeah. but I know so many wonderful actors you need a part you need parts you need a, a, to show what you can do and some people are more capable maybe than others but I know there are many people who are really capable who maybe didn't get that opportunity yeah. or whatever. But then I think, you know, combination of Spike and Joel and Ethan kind of opened things up for me. And Joel and Ethan kind of saw me in a different way because they had been watching my theater work. And that was because you had gone to school with Frances McDormand? Yes, and I knew, I, I, we went to see her Blood Simple at the New yeah. York Film Festival. My, my wife, Kathy Borowitz, was in school with us. And yeah. so we were all friends. And then was I she got, already with Joel Cohen at that yeah, point? Yeah, after yeah. Blood Simple. Okay. But then we would socialize, but yeah. Joel and I got along, and then I met Ethan. And But then they would come to, you know, move, if I was in a movie, I'd invite them. Yeah. Or if I was in a play. Yeah. And, you know, and they saw me. I mean, the whole genesis of the Jesus character yeah. was in a play I did. Really? You know, they saw it at the public theater. They think, we'd like you to do something like that, you know. Which play was They it? were called, three one acts called La Puta Vida. Yeah. I did two of them by Ronaldo right. Pravad. And so they'd seen me do a variety of things, not just, you know, a tough guy yeah, or yeah. psychopath. I mean, after I played, I mean, Heinz was a great role in Five Corners, but yep. I got offered a lot of dark, dark characters. Yeah. And then, you know, through Joel and Ethan and Spike, you know, after Do the Right Thing, maybe, you know. I got to do other things for Spike, like in Jungle Fever and things. For the purposes of chronology, I just want to okay, mention to around. no, no, no. It's great. No, Sorry. I just I, it's great. But I want to just let it, make sure our listeners know that basically after Five Corners, which came out in '87, and introduced you, as you say, to a lot of these other guys who who would be coming up after that, it seems like the next thing was do the right thing in '89. Miller's Crossing in 1990, and then Barton Fink in 1991. That's a pretty big one, two, three punch. And I just want to ask, how did Spike first reach out to you? Because 
you've now worked something like nine times together, I think. Yeah, I've done a lot of cameos. Yeah, I've right. done like maybe, I would say, real roles in like four or five of his right. movies. Yeah. Starting with Do the Right Thing. Yeah. And, and But you've joked that in other interviews that I've read to prepare that you are Spike Lee's, quote, Caucasian representative, close quote. You've also <laughs> said, uh, quote, I am actually black. Spike's never said that out loud, but I am, close quote. <laughs> so just what are the reasons why you guys headed off? Well, we're three weeks apart. Yeah. You know, he's a real doer. And I think so. I'm a doer. And I just think we had a lot of references, cultural references. I grew up in a black neighborhood. He grew up in an Italian neighborhood. I think he saw once we got to know each other that I was, you know, I wanted to play the racist in the movie. I said, I, I would rather have play that role. And he saw once I got comfortable with him and Ernest Dickerson, how comfortable I, 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 you know, I suggested lots of things that they didn't maybe even know about. For and, right and I wasn't trying to soft pedal it. And yeah. I really was behind him. And I think something happened in that movie which kind of cemented our, he saw that I was, you know, if I disagreed with something, we would have discussions about the end of the movie. All of us would, all the actors did, but I was straightforward, but I, I supported his, you know, vision and we just, you know, trust happens through something. Yeah. There was no battle of egos yeah. before that. And then he, you know, told me he was going to do, you know, I think Mo Better Blues was yeah. after that. And nice. then when he worked Jungle Fever, like yeah. he interviewed me about growing up and interracial relationships for, like it was in my house. And yeah. I, it was like a 55 page transcript, I remember. And, you know, originally maybe that character was going to be like the main, in the main story. That's not what the, I read. The side yeah. story. And I, you know, I, I worked on the script a lot. Mm -hmm. I, lots of people, Spike encourages that with a lot of actors. But I, I, I worked on, you know, for the other characters, my father's character. And I, 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 there was a lot of my own experiences in Jungle Fever. Yeah. And being sort of caught in between tribes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or races or whatever you, yeah. you want to say. And, you know, I've had a very interesting childhood because I was in a black neighborhood. I moved to a white neighborhood. Yeah. I got bust out to an all black school. And then I wound up in high school, you know, in a kind of nicely integrated school. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you have relationships with people, you learn to judge people individually yeah. and not as a group. Yeah. And you, and yet I grew up, there was all kinds of terminology that was thrown around. Right. And it's still thrown around. Right. But I think when I saw us do the right thing, I recognized a lot and Jungle Fever, I recognized the world that I knew. And I think those films are very relevant, and I think Spike has a lot to, you know, contribute. You know, sometimes people have pushed him to the side a little bit, mm -hmm. and I think he's a terrific filmmaker, and, you know, he's opened a lot of doors and stuff, but a lot of the stuff he did, he, he did early on with humor, not just, it wasn't just being didactic. And I think if you see... Maybe the movie's not perfect. Bamboozled, for example. Mm -hmm. There are sequences in that film that are, you know, jaw dropping. You look at it and you say, "Holy mackerel!" Yeah. You know, he's honest. He's he's putting his finger on something, and you know, he's one guy. And I would love to do something, you know, complicated. Yeah. You know, with Spike again, but and I've taken heat for yeah. different things. Yeah. You know, a Mo Better Blues was something that I took heat for what, being in. How come? Because the characters were identified as Jewish. Mm -hmm. There was supposed to be, it was like a running gag through the movie, but when he cut it, it, you know, we lost some of the comedy. Mm -hmm. 
And I told Spike early on, I said, you know, you should we should make the character, the father's Jewish and the mother's Italian. I said, because then this way, you know, and, and which, is, which could be very true, because right, a right. lot of people were yeah. in that. And, you know, they're just specific characters. But they were supposed to be almost like, like almost comic relief. Right. But, you know, when a movie gets cut, so it was a big thing about him being an anti... I remember him, he wrote an article, yeah. I am not an anti-Semite, right. on the op-ed page. Right. And we had our pictures, me and my younger brother, Nicholas, <laughs> okay. plastered on right. the arts and leisure of me and Denzel with our arms around him. And yeah. the nature of jazz, a lot of managers took advantage of right. black and white people. I mean, people didn't make a lot of money right. on their records. Right. So there were certain groups that were, there were Jewish guys and there were Irish, and there were Italian guys too. But I was worried for him. Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember we even said it and then we, you know, of course, when you cut it out, you don't think about those ramifications. But people have accused him of being a racist, of being, and so I've, you know, I've been in the middle of that. I mean, Joe Klein, very good writer, mm -hmm. he predicted riots before he screened "Do the Right Thing" in New York Magazine. He said there's going to be riots in the theater. Well, I want to just come back to that one for a second because it's, I think now. 28 years later considered one of the greatest movies ever and and got some newfound appreciation when I think it hit the big 25th anniversary a few years ago and I just wonder though for you if you could psychoanalyze yourself for a second why would you have asked to put yourself in the position of playing the guy who's spewing some of the worst stuff here the most you know the most vile stuff in the right. movie and also what was the shoot like for you having once that got going, because this was a very right. diverse set, and I can't imagine, even though people know that you're not the character, it, right. it can't have endeared you to people. No. Well, and some some people that did. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Some people that really did. I, I thought it was the more interesting character. I thought that's what the movie's about. I thought, yes, I understand this, and you have to kind of bring a humanity to it. And also, you know, a lot of times people are afraid, or they're ignorant, or they don't have knowledge, so they they... There's a provincialism that pervades groups sometimes, and beyond race, it can be religion. You can be, you know, you're saying we've got to stick with our own, you know, and you can see that when you travel to certain places. So I thought that was the meat of the matter, and I'm not afraid. I don't care with that. When I started rehearsal, I didn't want to say the N word and yeah. all these other. I was and Spice said, "Speak up, speak up," and then I got more comfortable, and people got to know me. And then we we on, on the set between him and Ernest and Wynn Thomas and Ruth Carter, it was a fantastic rehearsal process. It was great. The people who looked at me differently were people who had never worked on a movie, like the craft service people, because Spike gave opportunities to yeah, people. Yeah. We would see the dailies at LIU. Okay. So you're watching the same scene. So yeah. if I'm saying stuff five times in a row... People are watching that and they're saying, that's who he is. And there was a girl in particular who told me on the set, she said, I, she wouldn't give me like water. I would say, can I have a glass this of water? This is the craft service. Yeah, and she told me, she, she told me she, she hated me. She said, I hate you. <laughs> I never forget how she said, she said, I hate you so much. And I told Spike, I said, Spike, you got to talk to her. I yeah. said, and he was laughing, yeah. laughing. He goes, you're doing great. She said, that's exactly, I said, well, listen, you got to put me on the cover of Ebony when this comes yeah. out. I said, because I said, you know, people, I'm going to ride the subways. Right. And the interesting thing about it all was, first of all, I have a lot of fans or people who like my work yeah. are black, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I've only gotten tremendous reinforcement yeah. from the black community for my performance in that film. Okay. Never once, never once, 
not one time. So that shit, that does say something to me. Never that, once have they criticized you. No, or say, yeah. you know, you that guy, you that. He they never that. had that problem. Yeah, yeah. But a person on the set seeing it. Yeah. But I think, you know, that's why I cemented my relationship with Spike because I, I was like, no, you got to add this. Right. And right. he was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you you know? were all yeah. into, yeah. I was, I was, because it's the nature of, a, I mean, unless you're always going to be the hero, right. but someone who, first of all, doesn't interest me, someone who looks the way I look, I'm, I'm not always going to play that kind of part. And I don't have this, I feel okay about myself as a person. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of, you know, good friends and I, I don't feel like I have to be, you know, the good guy. And sometimes I've been in movies where people are always plays the hero. Yeah. And some of those guys can be the most, you know, uh, I don't want to say, but it's, yeah. the, it's the exact opposite. Yeah. You're exact. It, like the, all the air in the room, there's no room for you. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm really not that interested in that because I think in life, what happens between people yeah. is what's the most interesting. Sure. Well, let's, let's, continue chronologically and go back now to the Coens because I wonder if you can help with understanding how Miller's Crossing and Barton Fink happened in such close succession. I think oh. there was some actual overlap in the making of them, right? They were writing Miller's Crossing. They told me they were going to write a part for me because they had seen me play different roles. And in the middle of it, they had writer's block. They couldn't finish it. And they wrote Barton Fink. But Miller's Crossing still came and out then, first? And then... They wrote Barton Fink. They never showed it to me. The last day we were filming Miller's Crossing, right? Because I I wasn't in the whole film, right? Ben Barinholt said, "There's this film." He said, "John," and he goes, "It's called Barton Fink," and I thought it was Bart and Fink. <laughs> and then they gave it to me after, and maybe it was the following year. Like we, I don't know when we when we finished it. Yeah. Because when we started, we finished. I think in. We started in the winter, so maybe we finished in March or April. So it was not that they were editing that whole thing. It could have come out the next March, but it didn't. And that summer, we did Barton yes. Fink. Right. And we held for the New York Film Festival, which was a huge mistake because we came out the same week as Goodfellas, and it, and it killed us. If we would have come out in March, it would have been much better, I think. And, that's, and when you say it killed you, with Barton Fink, let's just say... You guys, no, Miller's Crossing got it got killed. Right, right. We just got steamrolled. Right. So just to remind people, with Miller's Crossing, you're playing Bernie Birnbaum, the yeah. the, sh- the Schmada or the whatever. Schmata, yeah. The uh, Schmada. He was supposed to be the matzah, but that yeah. was a, that was that was a, something they took from one of those other books, right. like the Chandler, and they couldn't get the rights to the matzah. Oh God. So they called him the Schmada. Well, this is the the double crossing yeah, gay yeah, bookmaker, yeah. and then with the tragedy of that movie is that Steve Buscemi and I were lovers. It's alluded to, and I killed him. You know what I'm saying? But I always told the Coen brothers, they said, you know, if you would have had a love scene yes. or a post-coital scene <laughs> between his character and my character, because yeah. his character spoke even faster than my character, right. Mink. Right, Mink. right. I said it would. I said the movie would have been a success. <laughs> and I said that's why. That's why the movie was a right. box. That right. was, it was financial. That's so funny. And, I, and Steve and I say, you know, now with digital, yeah, we yeah. could do we it. We could do it. <laughs> we could do it. We could do the same. You know. Well, so there, there was that one, and then with Barton Fink, who will remind people was this, this tortured New York playwright who who gets his taste of Hollywood. I guess was he a, inspired by Clifford Odette yes, specifically? Yeah, but in some ways, okay, and in some ways not. 
So you really, I know, poured yourself into the prep for that one, and I'll ask you in a moment just if you can share some of what you did, but just to contextualize how well it was received, premieres at Cannes wins Palme d'Or, Best Director for the Coens, Best Actor for You, all this stuff, and then here was one that, as I understand it, it cost $9 million, grossed 6 So how... It made its money back before it was released. In in they were in the the black before the movie was released because they because of the they sold everything the, the territories they sold all the territory and it did very very well in other countries I mean really well but I mean well, one like the David Donatello award I won for in Italy so yes. it did it did it did really well and in, in France it did tremendously talk about what you poured into that one but also then what was the effect on your career thereafter well, well here it didn't do huge but yeah. obviously. People in the business saw yes. it and stuff. So yeah, I mean, they opened up. I mean, I wouldn't have done the truce La Tregua with Francesco Rosi if I hadn't done Barton Fink. Yeah, and I wouldn't have you know learned all about Primo Levi without doing Barton Fink. And so that's something that was a big education for me and a wonderful you know five year journey. Yeah. So you know one thing leads to another. I think people say, oh well, he can play a writer. Oh, he can be an intellectual. Right. Or he can do that instead of me playing. You know the guy the from you know uh, you know always. Yeah. Did, I mean, listen. Within any genre, you can yeah. have a tremendous variety yeah. of people. Even guys who are blue collar who can be a plumber. He's very can be very different than another right. guy. But that's not normally how they're written. Right. They're not written about a guy who reads a book. Right. And I know people who do, who are electricians, yeah. but they're readers, right. you know, or they're philosophers. Yeah. or So it does open up other things. You know, in different countries, for example, if I was in France or Italy, I would just be looked upon as a regular, a guy who looks like everybody else. But when you're not that, either you're perfect looking and you're in this thing, or you've got to have variety. Right. And I've always been interested in that yeah. as an actor. I don't like to be the same or sound the same yeah, or yeah. whatever. It's it's fun for me because I come from theater and right. you have to change. If you do an end game or the cherry orchard, it's, it's different. Right. I mean, Well, to that end, I just want to quote back something that was written, I think, in Newsweek after Barton Fink because you'd already accumulated a variety of hairstyles in movies right. by that point. So I believe they said, John Turturro is to hair what Meryl Streep is to accents. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> it's not a bad couple. That's bet. a great couple. And I, and I think there yeah, are other yeah, parallels yeah, that we yeah. could get into, but that's just, just yeah. for, to what you're saying. That's good. It's, yeah. I mean, you know, your hair, your voice, your <laughs> yeah. posture, it's all, you can be it's all, it's all part of it. Yeah. And, of course. and also I'm going to tell you a story. I, I want you to, to go with it in a way. And if I do something like, you know, the night of or something, you know, yes. I, I spent a lot of time really, even though I'm from New York, kind of working on my voice yes. because he was a lawyer. So yes. I did a big warm up and I used a lot of expressions that are from really from older New York, which is more of a Yiddish inflected mm -hmm. New York mm -hmm. when I would ride in cabs and, you know, guys would it was a certain sound or a certain music that you would hear and you would say, oh, wow, it's, you know, it's... So to me, that helped me get lost, you know, in it, besides all doing my own, my sure. own personal work. Another milestone along the way, a few years after those movies we already discussed, is 
playing Herb Stemple in Quiz Show right. for Robert Redford. This There's was, a different voice. There's a different voice, a different guy, kind yeah. of guy altogether. Yeah. Uh, just again to remind people, this is the game show contestant who became a whistleblower during the whole right. Quiz Show scandal period, and that was amazing. And it seems to me that, from what I've read, you really connected with Redford because you were on that before everybody. pretty much anybody. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was the first guy. I mean, that's why I gained all that. I was getting all that weight and stuff. Yeah, because <laughs> he, he, there's other people he was considering and he couldn't get. So I was with him alone for a long time. Now, Herb Stemple was and is still alive. Did, was he somebody that you... I met, yeah. Met you him, did? Yeah, yeah, he was a fascinating guy. And, uh, you know, when I saw the kinescope of him, I was like, wow. Yeah. You know, and... Later on, you know, Redford was saying, well, you know, you could also play the other part. And I was like, no, I want to play, you know, Herb. That's the part I want. Why were you drawn to it? And what was the Well, what that's was what the they offered it to me. And, and also the script was even more balanced between them at that time. And then I think he skewed it, you know, right. It's his movie more towards the tragedy of Van Duren, mm -hmm. which was a little bit dramaturgically invented mm -hmm. because he took to it much easier than Herb did. Mm -hmm. And he didn't maybe think Herb would have the awareness, you know, to comment on it. And there was one scene that I real always loved and I thought we were going to do it and then they cut it out. We never shot it where Herb, you know, figures out like it's, he's, he's, he's got the right message, but the wrong face. And I really think that would have, he was sitting with the, the lawyer at yeah. the end. It's like after he has the testimony and he, he's saying that he would never, it balanced it out between them. He he says he said that, and I, I always regretted that I never had a crack at doing that because I felt like if they they took some liberties that way, they could have taken that. But overall, it's a terrific film, and he did a great job, and I just adored working with him. Was that sentiment though that the character would have expressed the the yeah. right message with the wrong face? That's right. Something that in any way you connected to in the sense oh, that... Yeah. absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. It's, it's, I mean, he was very naive and he made a lot of mistakes and he was, he had his own kind of craziness and, and his own kind of neediness, you know, but yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of stuff, what's in the news right now. Yeah. I've done so many films that have explored different aspects of what's going on. Now, I haven't made a movie about the Civil War. I was also a history teacher. My father was from Italy, and he fought in World War II. So grew up with a lot of this stuff in my house, you know, from Quiz Show to stuff with Spike, stuff with the Coen brothers, to Primo, you know, this, the, the Primo Levi film. I've been around this thing, and I, I, I've tried to actually be involved with projects that talk about it or in a way that's, humanizing and may, but also hopefully you know entertaining too but i i find it the subject but even beyond that and all of that is fascinating to see when one looks back at your career and sees these threads but i'm saying even just on a different level that i don't know anybody who doesn't think you're one of the best actors there is out there but there's also then the considerations that come up in movies as opposed maybe a little less to in theater and maybe right. television that because a guy looks a certain way, he's going to get certain opportunities. You've obviously overcome any of that to a large extent because you look at the great career. But at the same time, has any part of you ever yearned to be the guy who 
is the hero in the sense that yeah. you've talked about. Well, you know, I think sometimes people have seen me like as the lead or something, or like European directors yeah. see me that because that's where they're from. So I look like them yeah. or, you know, so right now I'm probably going to, I may, do, I, I'm not sure I'm going to do it, but it looks like I'm, you know, I'm talking about doing it. They offered me, they want to do a miniseries of The Name of the Rose, and the main character is William of Baskerville, mm-hmm. and they offered me the role. And, you know, of course, it's a European director who offered me the role, you know, and they just see me as me. Yeah. They say I have the right qualities yeah. to do it, and they're all, all different kinds of looking, you know, different kinds of people. Yeah. And they look, there's a variety of looks that people who come from the United Kingdom in the past. Yeah. Because... The Romans were there too, you know. So, and it's amazing. Uh, You've played like every sort of ethnicity there is. Right. It's incredible. So, but it's so, sometimes I, I've come up against that yeah. and you feel like, ah, I wish, you know, but I've been blessed when I have someone like Steve Zalian, you know what I mean? Yes. Saying, well, this guy's name is John Stone. He's a New Yorker yeah. and you don't know what he is. Right. You don't know if you have no idea. Maybe right. he changed his name. Right. Right. And that's it. His name is Stone. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I'm like, good. But the whole thing was about race and right, everything like right, that. Right. So I don't always want to be that other character. Right. But you can see it's in our country. It's it's this. You know, when you just saw what happened like yeah, last right. weekend, you just go, well, you know, history is real. Mm-hmm. People have said certain things and has led to horrendous results. Mm-hmm. History is real. There's no more, you know, moral equivalent right. of okay, provocateurs, you know, which maybe there are on the other side, but from someone who wears, you know, a Nazi helmet, mm-hmm. that's a symbol of that. That's outlawed in yeah. in Germany. Yeah. They they don't let them do that. Mm-hmm. And you know, white supremacists, you know, slavery was in the United States for hundreds of years, and we are still feel feeling the results of it, yeah, yeah. you know? And so I think history is, it's a weird thing because people, they trivialize it. They don't personalize it. And it's, you need to constantly, it's like tenderize mm-hmm. civilized people. Because when you hear some of the things that were said the other day, you're thinking like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, are you, are you going back to like the elders of Zion, yeah. you know, that book where they say, right. well, right. you run the banks. Right. You're like, but you're saying specifically not only what was said at the rally, but what came out of the president's mouth, right? Well, he obviously doesn't know his history very well. Yeah. He doesn't. He, he could say, "Well, there's two sides to every story," but in the reality, is there are people who are armed marching who represent groups mm-hmm. that saying we are superior to you and we don't want anyone different and of course they don't really know what they're talking about a lot of these people have learned it online right you know their parents haven't gone through yeah you know some of their parents have repudiated them already publicly from the ones that were at this thing last week i mean this is you know this is real yeah this is real this is and you all you have to do is fan that flame it's happened so many times in history and so these kind of things like yes you know as an actor or when my profession you can try to make things that help the conversation or keep the conversation going or open people up but if people are clutching to this kind of amnesia that they have it's a terrible thing to live the way to live sure for sure and people will be you know can be hurt 
and will be hurt. It's and, already just happened, yeah. Yeah, and you see how history repeats itself. Yep, yep. It, it can happen. People say never again. It can happen again. And so you don't need to scream. No. You don't need to scream out that. But you need people to stand up and say, this is not right. Right. And I don't agree with it. I understand this free speech. Right. But there's also hate speech and there's guys with assault rifles right. going to a protest. Right. So crazy. Yeah. So, well, to uh, go lighter for just a moment here. No, I, th- I think, you know what? It's on everybody's mind right now, or right. it should be. So I right. appreciate the that we talked about it. But to go lighter for a second. Yeah. I believe that it was in the course of promoting Quiz Show that you went on SNL and first for the first time crossed paths with one Adam Sandler. Yes. And that has spawned one of the more unusual, I mean, I would say less predictable based on the rest of your work. This collaboration, you've done, I think, four movies, maybe more. Mr. Deeds, Anger Management, You Don't miss, Mess with the Zohan, uh, some other stuff. Some are pretty fun, but they don't resemble anything else that I think I've seen you in. So I wonder, what was the, what's well, that about? You know, Adam, he really, they, he liked me and they asked me, I, they wanted me to be like a bad guy or something, yeah. Mr. Deeds. And I said, I, I don't want to do that. And I said, but I like this one little part and then I liked another little part. Yeah. And I said, maybe you could make it one part. Right. And Adam was thinking along those lines and they just basically let me do what I wanted to do. You know, I designed my wig and my costume and I really had a ball doing Mr. Deeds. I was like, oh, this is really fun. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, then after I did that, he was like, You're you know, I want to do this. And then he told Jack Nicholson right. that I was going to do anger management. <laughs> and Jack Nicholson was a big fan of Mac, my yeah, first yeah, film. Yeah. And then I said, I didn't really want to do it. And then Adam called me up and said, I told Jack that you were going to do it. And then I said, all right, well, let's just try to make it a little bit whatever. Right. And of course, I had fun working right. with Jack. And and the Zohan, that's been going on for years because yeah. Adam would leave me messages as the Zohan. And, <laughs> and I like Adam. We yeah. play basketball together. Right. And I actually think, you know, in uh, Punch Drunk Love, in the Judd Apatow, uh, Funny People, yeah. Yeah, I think he's, he's actually a good actor, yeah. uh, Adam, you know, and... And I, I we we get along. I knew his dad, really, and his, yeah, and his mom, and I know. Uh, How do you know that? Uh, well, I, his dad passed away, but I just, yeah. I just, I felt, you know, we felt comfortable. And it, it depends what kind of experience you have right. when you're doing it. And like the Zohan, I, I wish they would have let some of my. I mean, I did a whole scene like in Arabic, and then with translation, <laughs> and they were like, I said, well, you got to guys leave that in. You know, yeah. I wish I would have had a little bit. I, I, I think the first hour of that movie is really funny. Right. And then the second hour gets a little Falls bit. Off, yeah. But Adam is very good in the film. So I've had, it's good to sometimes do something a little outside your, it's not Screen where I It's not where I live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not where I live, but I don't look down on things. No. I think it's very hard to do comedy, pure comedy. The bolder thing that might have helped him to see you in a comedic context happened a few years before any of those movies, which I guess would have been the big Lebowski. Was that the first time that somebody had really given you the chance to just play a, a nutty guy? Well, yeah, that was in like 97 or something like that. So they, they, yeah, people have, yeah, they, people, that certainly probably helped. <laughs> and doing Saturday Night Live. Right. I, only, I only did it one time, but I, it was a pretty good show. There was humor in other roles right. that I've played, like Herb Stemple. Right, of course. You know, you can see it. Or I did a movie, Grace in My Heart, which not a lot of people saw, mm-hmm. but it was a great role. And I loved working with Allison Anders yeah. on it. Some people saw that. And so I think 
they knew I could do yeah. that, but would I want to do that? The and, Coens, you yeah. think, would have wondered if you yeah. wanted to do it. You know, with the Coens I've done, I mean, oh, brother. I mean, that, that's a comedy. Right, you know? sure, it, for sure. After. It, but it's a Coen-esque yes. comedy. Dry. Well, okay, so just to, I'd get murdered if I didn't ask you a little bit about The Big Lebowski. You're playing the Jesus, right. uh, very intense bowler, probably has inspired a lot of twisted people to lick bowling balls over right. the years. Yeah. Did you ever imagine that this movie would take on that kind of no, a life? No, I mean, I, I said, like, I had done a character that was could have been the cousin of the Jesus. Right. And so they liked that, and we were laughing. And then when I got the script, I was kind of disappointed because I was like, there's nothing here. Not much. So yeah. then I thought, I better, like, make something up because, you know, they were all talking about him. Right. So then they had extra time that day, and I they allowed me to, to suggest a few things and they said, we figured you were going to come in. And yeah. I was very thin because I had done the truce and it was about mm -hmm. four months. I was still very thin. And I tried to, you know, just go all, because it's it's only a few minutes. Right. So it's got to be memorable because they talk about it. But I didn't even get the movie when it came out. When I saw it, I thought Jeff was great. Yeah. But I, it, it went over my head. <laughs> it went over my head. Then I saw it the second time. And then I was like, everybody was talking about it. Then I went to see it again with my, my older boy, Amadeo. And I was like, oh, I get it. This is really funny, you know? <laughs> and I don't think audiences here didn't get it. No, it didn't do they, well in theaters, it right? It didn't do, it did well, I think, like in maybe France and the UK. Yeah. But it's a movie you can, you know, guys take it into war with them. Yeah, I, want, I guess maybe it's a beneficiary of that DVD boom that yeah, was, it was happening. A, it, people really discovered it that way and they just watched it again yeah. and again. And because it's... It's a great comedy team and stuff. And so, so when you came in and came up with some of the business, though, what, what are we talking about? Was that the... You know, licking the ball and shining the ball, <laughs> dancing, all that stuff. That That's like, good. you know, stuff that they... I said, you know, what about this? What about that? Because I just watched that that scene again this morning to, yeah. in preparation for this. Oh. It's only like maybe four minutes altogether, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yet... Yeah, that's a little mini masterpiece. There, well, people should go. The first time they showed it to me, I was editing my other film, Illuminata, yeah. and they said, "John, we want to show it to you" because they were mixing it. I was really embarrassed. Why? I just, I was like, I put my head. Down, I said, "I can't believe you put all that stuff in there." <laughs> I mean, I was doing it because we're friends. Right. Right. You know, people have asked me other directors. They've said, "Could you do something like you, like in the Big Lebowski?" And I said, "What did you say?" <laughs> and then they, they face dropped. I said. What movie are we making? You know, yeah, it's like don't you, you ever didn't. ever don't ever ask me to do something like I did somewhere else. That's like that's off the table. Really, if you don't have the imagination to come up with your own idea, and that's also that's something I share with those people, with Joel and Ethan, and that's I don't do that kind of thing. And if someone says that to me, then I basically that's shut. The end. Then that's like kind of like I said, well, this guy he has nothing to offer me. However, though, isn't it is it the case that I've read that you have chosen to go and revisit the Jesus in yeah, a that's, sense. But that's, no, it, it is. I mean, if I would have done it like his cousin, like I yeah. did the other play, right. then people would have said, well, it's like the Jesus. So yeah. then I, I thought, well, I want to play it this way because I felt like I would like to do the full version, right. the, the nuanced version where that's more of the, the trailer version right. of the Jesus, you know, the shorter right. version. Then I showed the Coen brothers the book and French movie I wanted to adapt and they, they loved it because they said, 
this sensibility is right for that. It's a continuation of the character exploration, but it's not a spin-off of the Big Lebowski. Is it the same tone? It's the it's 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 a different. T- it's much more sexual. It is. Yeah, you know, it's. A, it's Do we a, it's find a, out why he was a, how he became yeah, a pedophile? Yeah, well, you, and all you, that? you find out that he was framed. Oh, okay, I love <laughs> yeah, that. He really. Right. And he's a he's a raging heterosexual. Right. You know. Well, yeah, no, he's a more of a bisexual right. in the film. But yeah, this is bi- like the better no. call Saul to that. Yeah, that was no, Breaking no. Bad. So it's like a continuation right. of the character of the exploration. But right. it's it's the sensibility is really more based on Bertrand Blier's original right. book, but it is that character. It's where the character came from. That's uh, I can't wait. It actually wait. is the character, and it's in the can, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so I can't wait for that. But what what you just said, as far as like how you will shut down on a director if they come up with something well, crazy, it's bad. It's like saying. You know, if you're friends with Mike, you know, can you treat me, you know, and then you're with Steve. And right. Steve says, well, why can't you act, treat me the way you treat Mike? Right. You know, it's like, it's like <laughs> yeah, no, it's I, I, I have my own relationship. Right. You, you don't ask someone to imitate something that they created. No, for sure. You but uh, with something specific. What I what I admire is that you will you will do that with. It sounds like anyone because I it sounds like you were asked strange things even with like the Good Shepherd, which is De Niro's second time directing, right. and he started to go a little nuts with the amount of takes and stuff. What, yeah, right? well, and, he just but, likes taking lots of takes. But like you, even if it's De Niro, you, there's I would no, talk to De Niro. I yeah. would tell De Niro. I would say, "Well, now I'm bad. Right. Now, now I'm no good." And I said, "Well, I did. I gave you ten good takes, and that's it. You know, and I was like, I can, I'll keep doing it. I said, but." It's not going to get better if we got it, you know. But sometimes he just wanted on certain scenes more angles or this or that. And Did you? We say- had a good, we had a good, very good relationship. But I would, I would say to him sometimes. I said, Bob, I said, well, now it's, you know, now it's just an exercise of you know variety. I think we've got the choice. But there wasn't a thing where you literally. That's it. We're no, done. no, no, I would never do that, because Bob, no. Bob doesn't. There's no. That's it with Bob. That's it. <laughs> we could, we could whacked. still be filming yeah. the Good Shepherd now. We could still be filming that right. torture scene that went on for days. Oh my god! I mean, that was really like horrendous to do, right. you know. But I think the crew was going to like jump out the window because I was saying basically one line for over three, and over for three and over. days. Oh my god! I was basically saying like, "What is your name? <laughs> Tell me your name." But you know, once he found out these are the things you do, and, right. we, and our advisor was quite, you know, he had done these things. I was basically doing. Yeah. I was doing, but the guy who I was torturing uh, right. was a wonderful actor, and he was in the Israeli army. Otherwise, no, no American actor could have gone Would through have it. Tolerated. No, I'm, they could not have gone through it. All I'm right. telling you. That's hilarious. Okay, so now with our home stretch, let's hone in on what is, I think, what has been received as one of the greatest in this whole collection of great performances, and that is as John Stone, who we who we mentioned earlier, Manhattan criminal court attorney who has some personal issues with his, I guess you would say, hygiene and health and personal, you know, home life and all this, and yet is very great in in his own way at what he does. And so I wanna I wanna ask you, you've done TV before, you won a guest acting Emmy for Monk in two thousand four, you did the eight part ESPN series, The Bronx is Burning in 2007, a number of things. But until recently, a lot of people who really made their name in film would not do TV. So for you, how did your outlook change on that? Well, I think the most interesting stuff being done is on television, probably. 
because the types of films that were made in the 1970s are not being made. Mid-range. The, the, the mid-range, character-driven things. And you see all these actors, you know, from, you know, Brian Cranston, mm -hmm. you know, J Jimmy Gandolfini, you mm -hmm. know, all these people, you know, great actors being able to explore different things. And people love it. And, and the miniseries has always been an interesting form. BBC has done it so many times. I've adapted books but two hours is not enough. You yep. need four hours. And I think people have gotten more hip to that. Like when we did The Bronx is Burning, we really didn't have the money to fully realize that book, which is a wonderful book. But it was still a great experience for me. And even when I did a thing about Howard Cosell on television with Ernest mm -hmm. Dickerson, that was a terrific experience too. It just it was shorter. This, we had the time to do it. And Steve you know, really wanted the time. Mm -hmm. And HBO, we did go long, and then we had to deal with that. But Steve and Richard together are two, they've written so many scripts, and they've rewritten each other. And they saw the original, which I never saw, but they said this could be longer. And then they looked at The Staircase, that documentary, and they really wanted to have that almost documentary type of approach. Yeah. So I thought this is... a fantastic material and Jimmy never really got to do it. He only did one day and when they approached me, I didn't even know that he had done this. Well, let me, just so people know what we're talking about here, you first of all had a long history with James Gandolfini. Yes, I did. He was yeah. not only in one of the movies that you've directed, Romance Cigarettes, but he was also I read you were at his wedding, you were yeah. at his funeral you, yeah. I think your sister even in Maida is, uh, Aida knows him since Streetcar Named Desire in the early 90s, with, he did with Alec and Baldwin. And she was on the Sopranos. Yeah, yeah. So, so I know him all since All that then. stuff, yeah. So he yeah. had, this had been a, a passion project of his. I, as you say, they only made the pilot. Yeah. And he wasn't he worked one. Now. He worked one day on it. So how did the project first come to your attention? And then did the fact that it had been his make you more or less inclined to do it? No, I didn't know about it. My agent knew about it and Christina Bezdikas, and she kind of, put me into the, I guess there were other people who were interested. I was someone that they were thinking of because Steve, you know, has always liked my work and I almost did searching for Bobby Fisher wow. with him. And so I just, I think I was on the initial list. James had a a deal and he found out about it or what, or they, they talked to him and, and they went that in that direction. I didn't even know I was being considered for it initially. I had no idea when they came to me, I felt a little strange, but I said, well, let me read it. So I read a couple, and I was like, wow, this is very good. Mm -hmm. I watched the pilot. pilot was very long. It was, it was very slow, mm -hmm. actually, I have to say. The one that was previously. It, yeah, and they then they cut it down. And I, I felt weird. I said, oh, I'm going to see James. And, you know, it was just someone I really cared about yeah. deeply. And yeah. he was the lead in my movie. I worked with him for two years yeah. on it. And I was, I still can't believe he's gone. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just can't just because of the kind of person that he was. Yeah. And then then I saw, you know, he was interesting. He did, but he only did like, he never even talked to Riz. Yeah. So I had like was watching with one eye and I said, okay, well, I'll read the rest. So I read the rest and then I sat with Steve and we talked. I did talk to Jimmy's wife and his managers and they were all encouraging and you know, it was an extra incentive for me, but I thought this is great. You know, listen, if you were going to play Hamlet, a lot of people played Hamlet, but no one really played him except in England, really. Right. And you have to find your own way. And I had like a good almost four months to think about it. I thought what was interesting, all the characters yeah. were, were really 
detailed yeah. and nuanced. But I thought what about Stone was that, well, here's a guy who has all the capacity to be a great lawyer, yeah. but not the Constitution. And it reminded me of so many people I know who have so much talent, so much ability, right. and they don't have that drive or they don't have that coldness. Right. They, they, or they can't compartmentalize. You've probably and seen that with actors. All the, I, can t- I can tell you, yeah. people who you would think this person's a great actor, this person's a great writer, and you don't know you don't know who they are. So I thought, then he's got his body who's rebelling against him, right. and that is a thing that people suffer from. All and that's in the script, or did you add some of that? Some no, of that it's business? in the script, but, yeah. but the business stuff, yeah. I you know I started doing more and more because I got to learn about it and yeah. work with my makeup man, and I wanted to physicalize it because so much of the of the movie is people talking yeah. in rooms, so... We needed that physicality. Yeah. So I thought, hey, guys, let me do my blocking and figure stuff out a lot. And I, and I can bring that and I can bring a physical life to it also. But, you know, I just loved playing the character. And if they want me to explore that again, I, I would. Because I, I, I just, I felt like he's like Lazarus in a way. He's just, he takes on all these things of everyone. And he's this cynical guy. And a lot of people who are cynical are really idealists. And he's a real ideal. Underneath, he hasn't lost that part of himself, even though he knows, you know, he's he's almost like an investigator lawyer, you know. But I spent a lot of time with really successful lawyers. Yeah. And you could see the cost it has for some of these guys. They're like, I don't know how long I can do this, yeah. you know. And I know Bill Camp, and I thought Jeannie Berlin was fantastic. If, and Riz and I just... Kind of hit it off. Most of your scenes, I would say, are with with him, Riz right? and uh, Amara. Some and, with, a couple with Jeannie and a couple with with Bill. And I have a lot of people I interrogate. I yeah. I investigate, <laughs> which are w- w- all interesting actors. Which but with I, Riz, there it's an interesting dynamic because you're somebody who's a bit older, so much more experienced. Also, there are parallels with the characters. What was that dynamic like? You're both was, now nominated yeah, for Emmys. It together. was well. Listen, we worked together, and I told you know. What what's interesting is what happened between us, yeah. not separately. Sure, and I, and I think the strength of the night of is what happens between the characters, yeah, and not just they don't exist in isolation. Right. And Riz was he was struggling doing his role because, you know, Steve was really didn't want him to do very much in the beginning. He wanted to kind of keep him quashed in a way and contained, and it was very difficult for him. And so I. You know, he reached out to me and I reached out to him and we talked about it and say it's the difference between being squashed or being just simple right. and being minimal. Right. And it's going to, you're going to get to do all those other things. And he kind of depended on me in some ways yeah. that way. And it really helped. And I also think very highly of him. Yeah. He's very smart, very dedicated. You know, I care about him. I hope we continue to be yeah. friends and maybe we'll do something else together. I think great. he's really special guy. But, you know, these kind of things, it's like the competition in acting really goes within you. It's, it's a, with you and yourself. Yeah. And it's just like, how far can I go? And then I throw it out to you. Yeah. And then if you receive it, you throw it back to me, then we've got something going. You know, sometimes the actor off camera can help make the other person's performance. And you know when you have someone generous doing that because you're saying, God, I don't have to do anything. This person's doing my whole performance. I just need to react. And I think, to me, I try to keep it in that context. Last question is this. 
as I understand it, about 10 or 11 years ago, you had, I don't know if you would call it a, a, a midlife or mid-career crisis right, of right. sorts, and basically you really seriously thought about walking away from all this. Right. And I wonder, what do you think that was all about, and can we count on you to stick around and yeah. do more of this? Yeah, I think you can count on me to okay. stick around <laughs> if you'll have me, if yeah. people will have me, yeah. I think everyone goes through that. Yeah. I think everyone thinks, well, you know what? I, I took this road, I could take that road. Because I think when you do things that have real resonance and quality, it doesn't have to always be heavy. It can be a really smart comedy or something. You feel like you're making some kind of contribution. And then sometimes you feel like, well, what am I doing? You know, like a doctor saved somebody's life. You know what I mean? Because that's what you were thinking about yeah, doing? Yeah, I was thinking, and my doctor was laughing in my face, Dr. Kotnick. Because you said you know, to him, I want to do what John, you do. He said, you're too old. You're <laughs> to become old, a doctor. Because <laughs> you do a good thing. You know, you right. help people too. You know, when they're right. sick, they watch you and they cheer, you cheer people up or, you know, distract them. And so, you know, he... I think everyone hits that age where you think, well, you know, I wanted to do this, you know, or I want to, because you want to feel like you make a contribution to the world and not just, you know, people recognize you. What the hell is that? I mean, it's like nothing to me. It's I like when someone says, you know, you cheered me up or you make me happy or, you know, you brought something into my life. And then you feel like, you know, there's the kind of work that pays for itself that, you know, you, you give something away. That's the whole idea for me. Well, I think you have you have contributed a lot, and I know that it's very appreciated by a lot of people, including the people who are going to be listening to this. So thank you so much for thank doing you. it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, yeah, really, thank you. Real pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.